Good morning, King of Grace Church. If you don't know me, my name is Toby Gaynor. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my privilege and opportunity to serve you this morning by bringing God's Word to us. We continue in our message series through 2 Corinthians. And this morning we find ourselves in perhaps what may be a very familiar passage to many in uh, chapter 12, looking at verses 1 through 10. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible available to you, please do turn there. Uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at the first part of that chapter. Uh, it will be projected if you don't have a Bible, um, but it will be helpful to keep that open in front of you as I preach through this text as well so that you can check what I'm saying against God's Word, but also hear God speak to you through it as well. So let me read, um, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which good man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except in my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it, would leave, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words to us this morning. We thank you for the riches it contains. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help me to preach your word faithfully and clearly. Help us all to hear and to receive your truth. And by your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you continue your work of transforming us into the likeness of your dear children, into the likeness of Christ, to the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you've heard the term humble brag. It's a relatively modern term, often comes with the use of social media. Uh, it's the form of making a statement about oneself which on first appearances may sound humble, um, but it really serves to draw attention to yourself. And thus, that's the bragging part. Let me give you some examples of some humble brags that have been posted on Twitter by celebrities of one sort or another so that you get the feel for what I'm talking about. Here's, try this one. 
It always feels a little odd to me when I get recognized randomly in public. I never know what I'm going to say. I'm glad it doesn't happen often. That's one of the, uh, the pains of being a celebrity, I suppose. How about this one? Having the number one video on YouTube is more hassle, i.e. stupid comments and 1,500 emails in 24 hours than it's worth. Well, I guess that would be true. How about this one? Maybe more for the ladies. No makeup on. And these are all tweets posted out into the world. No, no makeup on. Hair's not done. Toothpaste stains down the front of my shirt. Pretty sure I'm not wearing deodorant. Still, I get hit on. Sigh. How about this one? Man, this is so unfair. Why did the Lamborghini dealership not tell me I'd get pulled over at least once a week in this car? Time for a Corolla. LOL. Or this one. Watching my segment on Fox and cringing, listening to my voice on TV is so painful. Well, I wouldn't know. And how about this one from a celebrity pastor, one that you would probably know. I am truly humbled you follow my tweets. I pray they enrich your life and strengthen your ministry. God bless all 200,000 of you. Well, in today's passage, we continue to hear from the Apostle Paul as he addresses the church about celebrity pastors, or as we've been calling them, super apostles. And these super apostles had no issues with the humble brag. They just went outright for the full-on brag about themselves. But as we consider Paul's critique of them and his response in these verses, it's important that we understand that he is not delivering the biggest humble brag of them all. And that we don't make the same mistake to think that is our response as Christians. That as long as we put on a false humility, a false modesty, then we're doing the right thing. You see, the super apostles, as they were called, so-called, um, their intention was to build the church up into themselves. And the Apostle Paul's intention was not to correct them so that they were built up into himself, but that the church was built up into Christ Jesus. And last week in chapter 11, we saw Paul stepping into the super apostles' shoes, as it were, for a moment, although he called it foolishness to boast in the same way as they did. But he wanted to demonstrate to the Corinthians that he could trade blows with the super apostles, par for par. In fact, he could actually outdo them, and that if the church wanted to give weight to what they were saying, then they really should still give weight to Paul for the very same reasons, that he had a better Jewish pedigree, that he was a better servant of Christ, that he was a better missionary and pastor, that he was a better overall Christian hero, even though, in Paul's opinion, his main point was that you shouldn't be looking at those things to evaluate the importance of someone's ministry. And he goes on into our passage today in chapter 12. He's going to continue, first one, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained from it. He's now going to go on to address what the super apostles, as it were, were continuing to talk about in the realm of spiritual experiences and of revelations and of God's power. And this actually was Paul's trump card. 
and he could hands down beat the super apostles, as it were, at their own game in this. But Paul's intention is not to redirect the church so that they saw his authority and saw and put him up on a pedestal, but he wants to show them where the true grounds for spiritual power and spiritual boasting lies. And as he does so, we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul something that is hugely countercultural. It was hugely countercultural to first century Corinth, and it is hugely countercultural to 21st century America. Because rather than boasting in our strengths and boasting in our successes, Paul's boast and the Christian boast is to be in our weakness. And then and only then do we know God's power in our life. We're going to look at the passage in three points. We're going to cover the first two briefly as we look at where not to look to for power. And then the third point where we'll spend a little bit more time is where we do look to find God's power. So the first point in verses 1 to 6, we're going to see that weakness is intended to undermine boasting in others. Let me read those verses again, verses 1 to 6. Paul says, I must go on boasting, that there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except for my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Evidently, part of the the super apostles, their claim upon the the Corinth church was in the realm of their spiritual experience. And Paul was very, very reluctant to compete with them. But he does so only to show the church that if they're going to use that as a criteria if you're evaluating teachers and leaders, then they should still listen to him. But Paul is so reluctant to bring this up that he can't actually speak about himself in the first person. And so he uses this kind of strange third-person narrative to describe an experience that he had. He is still talking about himself. But he describes an experience that he had of a vision of heaven and of paradise. And it's interesting to note that um, Paul, we know from the, the letter, um, sorry, the letter of Acts, that Paul spent a year and a half with the church in Corinth, which was after this experience. If you look at the, the timeline of Paul's life together, he would have had this vision and then been with Corinth, and he would have been with them for a year and a half. And it means that he never brought this up in that time with them. No public ministry. Let me tell you about this vision of heaven that I've had. No quiet cup of coffee. Oh, you had a good quiet time today. I had a pretty good quiet time. Yeah, I got pulled up to a vision of heaven. None of that. There was nothing shared. And so he's only, again, reluctantly bringing this up, not to boast about himself. And he tells us exactly why he didn't share it in verse 6. So that no one would think more of him than they see 
or hearing. That he's only going to boast about his weakness because Paul deliberately wants to make sure that the Corinthian church knows the true basis and ground for spiritual power is not in their apostle but in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want the church to make the same mistake of thinking too much of him. He doesn't want us to make the same mistake of thinking too much of others at the expense of thinking much about God. So I think there's a lesson in this for us. We should certainly be very, very grateful for the different means in which God works in all of our lives. He gives us all different spiritual gifts. He gives us all different testimonies, different evidences of how God is working in our lives. And it's exciting to see and hear of God's activity in the life of others. But we collectively want to be careful and should be careful that we don't create some sort of hierarchy of importance or power in the lives of other people, brothers and sisters, based on their spiritual experiences. These are all intended to demonstrate the work and grace of God in our lives. And I'm sure, I'm assuming, none of us will claim to have a similar experience to Paul. And if that's the case, as if he didn't use his experience as a badge of boasting, We shouldn't use perhaps far less dramatic spiritual experiences to put others on a pedestal or attempt to put ourselves on a pedestal either. We should be careful we don't um, put temptations or stumbling blocks in front of one another in the way we might do this as well. Um, We may not boast in the same way as those celebrities did that I read earlier, um, but I think it's possible that humble bragging can creep into the life of a Christian Um, it just takes a slightly different form and do you have any ibuprofen my knees are so sore from all the praying I was doing earlier I am so tired I had to be at work really early this morning so I had to start my quiet time at 4am actually I'm a little light headed Um, sometimes this happens when I've been fasting as long as I have being silly but hope you get the idea just examples of of ways we can subtly maybe not even really fully aware of what we're doing share what God's doing in our lives but in a way which really puts the spotlight on us and not on Christ and we can hear that from other people and put the spotlight on them and not on Christ like Paul let's treasure spiritual experiences that God grants to us privately and share them carefully so that they are intended uh, as what God intends them to do to build one another up and point to Christ and not to ourselves and that's the second point which we'll look at in verses 7 to 8 that we can allow weakness to undermine boasting in ourselves we've already looked at we allow weakness to undermine boasting in others Verse 7 and 8 helps us understand how weakness serves to undermine boasting in ourselves. Let me read those two verses. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Did you notice in verse 7, Uh, actually the bookends of that verse at least in the ESV Paul says twice to keep me from becoming conceited 
very, Paul's very clear that there is a reason for his thorn in the flesh. Uh, in light of his remarkable spiritual experience, God gave him this to keep him from becoming proud and boastful in himself. This may be a well-known verse to you, and you may be hoping that I'm about to clarify what that thorn in the flesh was. Sorry to disappoint you. Um, I have no idea. We're not told. It's not clear in Scripture. Uh, there are lots of theories that have been put out there. Uh, read commentaries uh, considering those different ideas. Um, but to be quite honest with you, I think there is limited value in speculating uh, what this thorn in the flesh would have been. Um, it could have been physical or some sort of physiological ailment or disability. Um, Paul obviously identifies that he sees and understands Satan's activity behind it. But ultimately, we are left not knowing the details. And actually, actual fact, we are better off not knowing. We're better off not knowing because we can, it means we can more readily see in Paul's individual thorn in the flesh and in his, his weakness our own thorns in the flesh and our own weakness. And therefore, we can more readily apply God's words to Paul of his grace and his power to ourselves in our own situations. In fact, Paul does that for himself. If you see, he only has one thorn in the flesh, but after God speaks to him, at the end of verse 9, he's now boasting of all of his weaknesses, not just the one in the in the, of the thorn. So even though God's words to him was specifically in this situation about a thorn, he applies it to all of his weaknesses, and so we can take God's word and apply them to all of our own weaknesses as well. Well, what was the effect of this thorn for Paul? I mean, actually, I have had an experience of a thorn in my flesh, a quite literal one. Uh, as a young man, I went on a, on a two-week outdoor adventure camp, um, and very early on, we were doing activities, outdoor activities, and hiking and sort, all sorts of things. Uh, very early on in that two weeks, I scraped my shin on a thorn bush, got a bit of a cut on my shin, but it didn't really bother me too much. Um, and because where it was, I couldn't really see it too carefully. When I got home two weeks later, got my mum to look at it, and I realized I'd been carrying around with me a little thorn stuck into my shin. But clearly it didn't stop me doing anything. It didn't really even come to my mind. That is not the thorn that Paul is talking about. This was no minor irritation, no minor nuisance, one that he might be prone to forget for a day or in a bit and then thought, oh yeah, there's that thorn thing. The word thorn, as it's translated in our English Bibles, is literally the word for a stake. And so Paul is very much aware of how this experience is holding him back in some way or it's pinning him down, physically paining him and limiting him in some way and his response was to plead with God to remove it. Did you see that? He pleaded three times with the Lord to remove it. This wasn't a casual request at the bottom of his prayer list, a casual afterthought. Oh yes, and by the way, if you could just take care of that thorn thing, that would be great. No, this was a focused and passionate petition to God to remove a source of deep distress and because Paul lays his experience before us so, so openly and honestly we can learn and see how we are to deal with similar things for ourselves notice that Paul's spiritual high 
of these visions of heaven, those weren't enough to get him through his trial and to sustain him. God didn't say, didn't I give you enough already? I just called you up, gave you a glimpse of heaven. Hold on to that and you'll manage. That's not what God said. And even though sometimes God does bless us with these remarkable spiritual feasts or banquets as it were we can see from Paul's example that God doesn't intend for those to sustain us for a lifetime they often don't sustain us for very long at all and he intends for us to continue to come to him for daily bread see too as well that Paul knows nothing of a fatalistic resignation to his situation in light of God's sovereignty he doesn't shrug his shoulders and say, well, yeah, it came from God. He's given to me this to me. I understand why. It's to keep me from becoming conceited. All right, job's done. Let's move on. He even wrote later on a well-known verse to the church in Rome. You may have heard this shared in times of your own struggles. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those are Paul's words. That doesn't stop him from bringing heartfelt pleading to God to say, please, 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 remove this from me. And for Paul to hope that God would respond by changing his circumstances. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in what I'm about to go on to continue to look at in terms of boasting in our weakness, let's not lose sight of the fact that God still intends us to come to him as our Heavenly Father and to plead with him earnestly and honestly as children would following Paul's example that it is, it's okay, it's right and good in fact to bring our weaknesses to God and ask him to change our circumstances we do not have to stoically grin and bear it whatever those thorns may be we can plead to God and he hears us but what we can learn from this passage as well is we need to be open and ready to hear when he answers in a way different to the one we expect which is what the Apostle Paul experienced for himself and that brings us to our third point that we can let weakness lead to boasting in Christ verses 9 and 10 Paul goes on but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness Therefore I will go on all the more sorry. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God's response to Paul is not to answer the way Paul had hoped to remove his thorn in the flesh but God's answer does explain why Paul had no interest whatsoever in boasting in his spiritual highs and his revelations and why Paul makes this strange claim to boast in his weakness and although God's response to Paul is quite brief we would be mistaken to think that it was simple there is a great behind those words in verse 9 and we need to spend time just a moment to understand them properly this is not a quick remedy 
this is not a, a passage to recite and expect it to behave like a pill we take for immediate relief. This is more of a lozenge to draw on and benefit for a long time. You also need to be clear, let me say up front, that this is not some sort of Christian mysticism tied up in a little pithy saying. You know, to be strong, you must be weak. Kind of like, to be happy, you must be sad. Or to go up, you must go down. Such essentially meaningless statements have no power to help in real weakness and in the real trials of life. Paul is very much aware of that, and he would not share them with us, expecting them to help us. They didn't mean anything to Paul. That doesn't mean anything to us either. Rather, Paul understood these words to be incredibly profound and to hold incredibly powerful truths for the Christian. These are a deep well of riches for us to enjoy and to experience real power, real power to be applied in real weakness. And not just in Paul's thorn, as we said, but in every expression and experience of weakness and trial, as it goes on in the end of verse 10, Paul doesn't mind whether it's weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. He sees God's grace and God's power to be sufficient in those. That last word, calamities, different translations handle it a little differently. Um, sometimes pressures. Literally, it means a tight or a narrow space. A kind of a binding in, a, a pressure from all sides, which I'm sure we can all relate to and identify. Paul's not um, directly speaking in these passages about weaknesses in the areas of sin and of temptation. Although the truths that we hear from them certainly do apply uh, in our struggle against sin, and they certainly do apply in regards to our struggles with the consequence of sin. So just understand that his focus here is not primarily around sin, around sin and weakness. But, but if we experience, and we do experience it, uh, the consequence of sin in our lives, maybe our own sin, or the sin of others as it affects us, from those we can see very clearly how God's words apply to us. Paul sees application of God's words to him and to us in all of our experiences of suffering and of weakness, of difficulty and of trial. But before we get to a proper understanding of God's words and the power of Christ, we do need to be clear on what this passage is not saying. Paul is not sharing some secret pathway to Christian power in the same way as the super apostles were, were claiming, but Paul just knows the real way to get there. They wanted power in the church by boasting in their successes, and Paul's not saying, no, 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 they, they, they missed it. It's not obvious. Guys, what you want to do, if you want to be a big shot in the church, actually boast in your weaknesses, and then you've got power in the church. This is not, as I said earlier, this is not Paul's version of a humble brag. He didn't post on Twitter, I really had to embrace my weaknesses to find out how incredibly strong I am in Jesus. Nor is this, nor is Paul saying that this is some form of automatic mechanism that once you've discovered the right technique, boom, you get God's power. If only I just figure out how to boast in my weakness just the right way, then pow, I'm imbued with God's power. That is not what he's talking about either. Although I sometimes think, and 
to be honest with you, I sometimes wish that it was like that. I sometimes find in weakness, and maybe you're the same, that looking for, I'm looking for some special method, some special technique to receive God's power that transforms my weakness into my strength. I'm reminded of the 80s cartoon series, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Anybody remember that series? Each episode, the title character in the form of Prince Adam would get into some situation or another where he was too weak to handle it. He would hold aloft his sword and he would say, by the power of Grayskull, I was going to see if anybody finished that. By the power of Grayskull, I have the power. And lo and behold, he would transform into the mighty He-Man with sufficient power to deal with whatever issue or enemy he faced. And as much as I might want it to be, the truth of verse 9 is not a secret for me to, be, to hold up, to transform out of weakness into power that at the end of the day still makes it all about me. Paul's experience of God's grace and power and his weakness wasn't that he was transformed from weak Paul into super Paul. Paul remained complete with thorn in the flesh, weaknesses, trials, persecutions, insults, calamities. And yet, he was glad and he was content because he knew and experienced the power of God in Jesus Christ. And just as Paul's thorn was not removed, Experiencing the power of Christ may not mean that your thorn is removed or your circumstances are changed in any way. Deep waters may remain deep waters. And yet by God's power we remain afloat. Or backing up a few chapters into verse into chapter four, to use Paul's words, he said it may be that we remain very obviously jars of clay to show that the surpassing power doesn't belong to us but belongs to God that is what is meant by God's power being made perfect in weakness it's not that there's anything wrong or there's anything missing with God's power it's just that only when God's power is applied in our weaknesses is God's power perfectly displayed rather than obscured or diluted or even disguised by our efforts to display our, our power and our strength. So if this is not some form of magical process that either transforms us from weakness into superpowers or changes our circumstances to make the issue go away, how does the power of Christ manifest itself? What is Paul really talking about here? Well, I think to properly understand and apply, we do need to look back a little bit in, in the same letter and to continue reading from chapter 4. I have these verses to project, I think, but if you can turn there, it will be helpful. Just can turn back a few pages, chapter 4, verse 7, where we just referenced about jars of clay. Let me read the, a few verses from 7 till 11 again. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Those verses, I think, shed more light and understanding to our verse 9 in our chapter today. God's surpassing power, the power of Christ, is seen and experienced by Christians in our weaknesses because we are united to Christ in his death. And we experience his power because we are united with him in the power of his resurrected life. Brothers and sisters, while we remain in this life, while we remain in this body, we carry with us both aspects of the cross of Christ. We carry both his death and his life, both his weakness and his power. And so we experience weaknesses, and yet we know Christ's power to sustain us. We receive insults and humiliation, yet we know the affirmation of our Heavenly Father that does not change. We know hardships, and yet we know we have a treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. We know persecutions and pressures of all sorts, and yet we know the fullness of life in Christ. Jesus' death by crucifixion and his resurrection to new life by God's power are not primarily about overcoming our weakness. Let's be clear about that. Lack of power is not our primary problem. Our primary problem is our sin before a holy God, our rebellion against him and our rejection of him and his ways. And on the cross, Jesus took sin that was not his own and bore the wrath, the right and just wrath of God against that sin. He suffered and died, and he was buried in a tomb, dead. And three days later, he rose to new life. Brothers and sisters, people don't normally do that. But by God's power, they do. And now those who trust in his death for their own to pay their debt before God, know that their sins are forgiven. God grants new life and power to overcome sin, not perfectly, not all at once, but steadily, bit by bit, as we are transformed into the likeness of his child. And for some of you hearing this message this morning about God's power and in our weakness, you may, that may sound like what you need. But if you are not yet a Christian, I need you to hear that that is not your primary need this morning. You need a savior for your sins. You need your sin issue dealing with before you deal with your strength issue. But the good news is that God deals with both in the same place and in the same way. At the cross of Christ and in his resurrection so that we can all turn to him and trust that what he did on the cross was for you and for me 
and that his new life is for you and for me. And even as Christians, we continue to turn to the cross and to Christ's new life so that we understand that in death we are united with him and in weakness we are united with him. And yet so too we are united in his power and in his new life. Romans 3.23 is true and holds to us all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need salvation in Christ. That is our primary need. But the following is also true. We are all weak and fall short of the power of God. And we all need the power of Christ. So let me close with just a few thoughts of application. The first one is this, that... um, we shouldn't t- take these verses as an encouragement or an expect- exhortation to go looking for weakness and trials. Um, for those of you, many of you, I'm sure, you already think and know that you have your fair share. And God has given you the pressures he intends for you to know and experience. So you don't need to go out looking for more. But neither should we hide them away. Certainly there is, an, there is a truth in this passage where God's grace is sufficient to me individually, personally, and I can know personal contentment in that through my trials. But Paul does expect there to be an element of public display, even of boasting, as it were, in our weaknesses, so that God's power can be seen to be perfected in your life. And that is going to remain hidden or disguised if your weaknesses remain hidden. that doesn't mean we bear everything all at once to everybody around us it may mean it will mean that we start sharing our weaknesses with one another and of our needs need for christ's power in our lives certainly with our brothers and sisters in our church so that we can pray for one another that we can even perhaps be the means of god's power to one another as we strengthen and come alongside each other but it may also mean sharing our weaknesses before the watching world around us maybe in our workplaces, maybe in our family situation. So that those around us, they may very well know we are weak, but do they know where the power comes from? Do they know that what is in you comes from God and not from deep reserves within you somewhere? Scottish pastor and theologian James Denny once said this, I think we have this quote to project, No man can give at once the impression that he himself is clever and that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. And I think the same is true of giving the impression that we are strong or that we've got it all together, that we are powerful and that Jesus Christ is mighty to save as well. Brothers and sisters, let's embrace what it means to boast in our weakness. Do so together knowing that we all share in these weaknesses and we all share the power of God and his grace. The second application, I want to speak specifically to our young people in our midst and we are blessed to have many, but I don't define this by age. I define this by those of you who have been hearing this message and this talk about weakness and you filed this away as something for the future. And right now, you're not aware of much physical weakness. 
vaguely remember those days. But I want you to recognize and understand that this message about weakness doesn't apply only to physical weaknesses. It applies to every trial, every difficulty, every suffering we may experience in this world, which is affected and tainted by sin. And you may well be dealing with issues of depression or anxiety. God would meet you in your weakness. You may well know relational difficulties in your, between your parents, your siblings, with your peers. And God would meet you in your weakness. You may be encountering injustice of some sort at school or home, in the workplace may just be experiencing the difficulties of life. Studies are just incredibly hard. The work is just incredibly hard. Life is just incredibly hard. And God would meet you in that weakness. The world around you tells you that you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And if that is true, you have no need of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have a need for Jesus Christ need him as your savior and you need him as your power and strength too so do not hide or be blind to the weaknesses in your life but embrace him and display your weaknesses that he would be glorified just a third application just more briefly something for us to think about perhaps corporately as a church I think there is an opportunity for us to think about application here in terms of corporate weakness. Maybe weaknesses in our, in our church or in, in a specific ministry. We're not a big church. We're not a powerful church. Not a mighty church. We do aim to do everything we can well. And I'm sure there's ways in which we can do better. But we're limited in our number of people, in our resources. Let's not begrudge those limitations. Let's in them rejoice. They display Christ's power if we remain faithful. And we trust that even in our weaknesses, God is glorified. Romans 8 verse 23 says that we all groan along with all of creation due to the efforts, the effects, sorry, and the impact of sin in the world and in our lives. We groan to a Heavenly Father who hears us. We groan to a Heavenly Father who gave His Son for us and supplies us with every measure of grace and His resurrection power to know new life in the midst of weakness and even in the midst of death. And we will continue to groan as long as we are in this body. But we wait for a final day when all groaning will cease and all weakness will be removed because we will be made new and we will be with God forever. But until that day, for now, while we remain and while we wait and experience weakness, let weakness function as God intends to experience and boast in Christ's power and his sustaining grace in our lives. 
Father God, I thank you that you meet us in every situation of our lives. You don't wait for things to get cleaned up, get straightened out. You sent your son to die for us even when we were sinners and bought us and brought us to yourself. And in the same way, you meet us even in our weakness. And by your sovereignty and your great love and your wisdom, you deem sometimes not to remove those thorns or strengthen those weaknesses, but to help us to know the power of Christ. And I pray that this morning you would strengthen each and every one of us this morning, not so that we are seen to be strong, but that Christ is seen to be strong and that his power brings him all glory. You do that in our lives individually and through our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.